great to have you here. We always love it when the family comes together. My name is Holly Wagner. My husband, Philip, and I pastor Oasis Church in Los Angeles. And so the West Coast is in the house, which means trouble is in the house. And I started thinking when Rick was talking about family, and family actually plays out in a few ways. Uh, I went to Duke University and so I'm a big fan of NCAA. And however, when LSU lost, I was family to Chris and I sent him all these sad faced emojis. I commiserated with him. And then Mark Cleary randomly is a big Duke fan. And so when Duke lost, we had this, you know, real sad text conversation and, and they were beat by Michigan. So if you're from Michigan, I don't really want to talk to you right now. We're gonna have to be family later. <laughs> um, but you know, this family, our family has actually covered us in a lot of different ways. When my husband was diagnosed with cancer, there were people in this room who prayed with us and stood with us. And he's great, by the way. And um, then when we've navigated challenges, whether it's with church staff and the hurts that come from that or with family, it was the people in this room that I called and, and stood with me through so many of those challenges. And then just this last weekend, we celebrated 35 years of Oasis Church. And it was the men and women in this room who celebrated with us and um, getting emotional and sent us videos just honoring what that was. And so I can't imagine being a part of a better family. Now there's some crazy ones in here, Rick. But I'm telling you, there's no more genuine people than are in this room and I am honored to be building God's kingdom with you, and I'm grateful that you accepted the crazy Californian into your family. Now, one of the best parts of our conference, in my opinion, is what's about to happen right here. We call this a seven on seven, and so these are seven, perhaps fresh voices for you. I know a few of them, and I uh, am gonna be introducing you to them, and then what's gonna happen is they're gonna get seven minutes each. And at the end of those seven minutes, then that's when we cheer and applaud and they have to leave. And if somebody leaves time, you can't take up their time. You get seven minutes to make an amazing message, all right? Are you ready for this? All right, on the, Tim Timberlake is the first one right here, and Tim and his, I'm gonna introduce everybody first. Tim and his wife, Jennifer Pastor, uh, Christian Faith Center in Creedmoor, North Carolina. Oh, so do you hate me? Because I said do. You're a UNC fan? Sit back down. Okay, and then there's Chad Fisher and his wife Katie, and they're from Rock City Church in Columbus, Ohio. Welcome, we're glad that you're here. And Heather Lindsay, I love Heather. She and her husband Cornelius pastor the Gathering Church in Atlanta, Atlanta, that's right. All right, and then Juan Rodriguez. Así es, mi amigo, que se va a plantar una iglesia en Puerto Rico, ¿sí? Puerto Rico, very exciting. So honored to have you here, and your wife is Marisol. Bienvenidos a la familia. And then Andrew Gard, I just was recently at their church, Grace City Church in Lakeland, Florida. Honored to have you here. His wife, Christina, is one of my new favorite people. And then Jennifer Wilkes, uh, her husband is Jim, and they pastor Journey Church in Cleveland, Ohio. Welcome, great to have you here. And Wayne Francis, with his wife's name is Classy. You have a fan club already, and they, Pastor Authentic Church in White Plains, New York. So New York is in the house. Well, we are so glad that you're here. Um, are we ready? Then do it, do it. Come on, Tim. What's going on, family? I wanna take a moment to honor the lead team. Can we give our hands, uh, put our hands together for them? I think it's incredible that you all allow us to stand on your shoulders to see what's possible to the executive team of ARC, to the staff of ARC. Thank you to all the volunteers, the dream teamers that are here serving. You make this family room possible and we count it an honor and a privilege to see what God does because of your sacrifice. And so as a family, we have family values and we have seven of them. And today I wanna to talk to you from the standpoint we give. With Jesus as our foundation, we give, we are generous with our resources. Me and my wife, we have the honor and the privilege of pastoring in Creedmoor, North Carolina now. That's a very small city that a lot of you have probably never heard of. And uh, it's a difference between being in the South and being in the country. 
It's a big difference. It's a big difference. See, we're in the South now, but there's a countryside of the South if you keep driving that you'll find. See, you know when you're in the country, when people cut their grass and they find their cars. It's a difference. You, you know you've officially hit the country when people have mobile homes, but they have five cars that aren't mobile parked in front of it. And so we have the honor and the privilege of pastoring in the country. There's a couple of things that the country has taught me, and I'm honored that the country has taught me the importance of seed. And so our economy, where we are from, is based off of seed. My father was the son of a sharecropper, and my grandfather was the son of a sharecropper, and they taught us the legacy of generosity. And there's two things that my father instilled in me from a very young age. The first one was that the seeds of generosity are for tomorrow. See, it's generosity that allows us to know that we've cured our greed. He shared with me and would share with me that the seed that leaves my hand never leaves my life, but it enters into my future. The seed that we sow into things such as this family, it may leave our hands, but it never leaves our, our, our life. It enters into our future and it multiplies. And, and he would teach me the importance of sowing, because if we did not understand the importance of sowing, we would not understand the importance of where we were. See, seed is so important because by nature, humans are hoarders. The enemy is a stiller and God is a giver. And our job is to become more and more like Jesus. And so the more that we are generous, the more we become like the Savior that we serve. And so he would teach me that the seeds that you sow aren't for today, they're for tomorrow. I believe that I'm in a room full of generous people who desire to see this thing live beyond them. I believe that God has called us to be generous so that my two-year-old son, 40 years from now, can step into an art conference and introduce his family to the Savior that we serve. The second thing that he taught me was that the seeds of generosity are for each other. The sacrifice that we make are for each other. And it reminds me of a, a special that I saw not too long ago on BBC of a family of lions. And these lions were roaming the mountainside and this small male lion got separated from his family. And as he was separated, a pack of 20 hyenas began to surround him and they began to attack him because he was alone. And he, this lion began to scream and he began to yelp and he began to run as fast as he can. But no matter what he did, these hyenas would continue to chase him down and allow him to know that he was in captive and surrounded by them. And one time he screamed loud enough for his father to hear him. And the narrator said that his father heard his cry and was able to track him down by the sound that he released now this is the thing that intrigued me the father was willing to sacrifice and lay his life down to save his son and the next thing the narrator said made me jump out of bed he said now the opposition changes he said now the odds change in favor of the lion." And I just come to share with you today, when you are generous, it helps the odds change for your family. When you are generous, it changes the narrative for your brothers and your sisters. When you are generous, it helps switch the storyline to someone who is in the middle of their storm, in the middle of their test, in the middle of their situation, and allows the odds to change in their favor. The odds now change because of our generosity. And so we don't sow for today, we sow for tomorrow. We don't sow for anybody, we sow for our family. And because we sow, the odds change. I wonder, is there anyone in here that's grateful that our God sowed his son, Jesus Christ? Because when he sowed his son, Jesus Christ, it changed the odds on our behalf. 
when he sold his son Jesus Christ, it gave us an opportunity to have a life worth living. See, there's something special when we identify that we can't save ourselves, and it's through the generous offering of a savior that saved us. I'm in a room full of leaders and pastors, and sometimes it amazes me that we don't acknowledge the need for the Savior by our praise. But this is one thing that I've learned. Every blessing that I get that does not turn back into praise turns into pride. So I got 20 seconds left on this clock. What I want us to do, I want us to thank God for the generous offering until the bell rings. Well, Ark family, we serve because heaven is real and people are worth it. We serve because it is the only way the church will ever look like Jesus. And for us to look like him, we've got to love like him, lead like him, live like him. But when it comes to serving people, the challenge is Jesus, when he served people, he did not discriminate, even though, come on, let's be honest, we love to. Jesus said, I came to, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for everybody. But what we like to do sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, is we like to look at the body and try to determine which parts of the body are worth serving and which parts are not based upon which parts of the body we think might be able to serve us back. The pastor, church planter, come on, Ark family, we don't get to decide. We, we don't get to pick and choose this person over that person, this family over that family, because this family right here can most certainly help to pay the bills. If you want your church to grow, stop waiting for the people you hope walk through your doors and start serving the people you've already got. Come on. See, that's what I love about the Ark family. And if I can just say something about this family, and I got to call out Pastor Rick Bizet because that's my pastor. And when I showed up at this family, I didn't know what I was doing. I felt like I had a, maybe a call to ministry, maybe a call to church planting. You didn't know me. Nobody knew anything about me, but that I felt the call, maybe the call, that I, and I was an absolute mess. How many of you were an absolute mess when you walked through the doors for the first time and you kind of still are like, like me, still a mess? And this family and, and this man chose not just to believe in me, but to invest in me, not because you went out looking for me, but because I showed up wounded on your doorstep. And you took a chance on a person you didn't have to because, church, that's what Jesus does. That's what he did for you. And I, for one, can never repay the investment that Pastor Rick, you've made, Pastor Chris, you've made, the Ark family, what you've made. I, listen, I, I can never repay the investment you've made in me, my family, our church, our city. I know y'all don't even like our football team, but you've invested in them because you've invested in me. Maybe you've not been to my city, but you've invested in our city because you've invested in me. And if I can remind you, pastor, church, planter, you're not building your church. You're building his. And he's got all the perfect parts laid out right there in front of you to build his church. And what I've, I've learned is when you serve the person nobody wants to serve, God will give you the people that everybody wants but can't have. Because that's just the way it works. <laughs> but I've also found the challenge in serving people. And serving the least, like Pastor Rick talked about in his opening message, is we don't get to see in full the impact this side of heaven like we will see once we get there. See, I've got this vision of heaven, and I don't know if it's real, but it's my vision, so I'm going to share it with you. I don't care. But I've got this vision of heaven when I get there and I see Jesus for the first time, and he's happy to see me, and I'm happy to see him. And he looks at me. And he says, son, I want you to take my hand. I, I, let, let, let's go for a walk. You, you okay with that? And it's like, Jesus, I, I'll go walk with you anywhere you want me to go. I'll, I'll do anything you want me to do. Let's go. We're walking on heaven's streets. And, and Jesus, he's, he says, hey, you think you can make it up that hill? I hope so. I, I want to get there. Where, where are you taking me, Jesus? And we, we get, up, get up on this high hill. And, 
He says, I want you to look out, tell me what you see. And I say, Jesus, I, I see the biggest city I've ever seen. And he says, yeah, that's just a small part of heaven, but it's a big city I know. And can I tell you something about that city? Because you see the people, you see the lights, you, you hear the celebration, the laughter, the joy, the, the praise, the worship. All those people right there, you, you want to know where that came from? Remember back to launch day, April 3rd, 2011, when you weren't sure if anybody was going to show up at your church, but you, you hit the town and you sent out the mailers, the flyers, you raised the support, you, you did everything you could, talked to people at coffee shops, and, and one young man walked through the doors of your church that opening day, and, and you know his story. You know where I'm going with this, Jesus. I know his story. I know where you're going, I think. He says, it was a young man in his mid-20s. He didn't know me. He was an atheist. He didn't want to be there. But his mama got a flyer in the mail that you sent to her house. And because she has some social anxiety, she needed her son to come with her. And so he just came just to be with his mom. But as we began to worship and sing Amazing Grace, because I was with you there, just like I'm with you here. His heart began to change. And by the end of that day, you know what happens. He gave his life to me. But what you didn't see was what happened next when he went back to work at his job on the railroad. And he started to share this encounter he had with me, with a guy he'd been working with for years. And at the time, he, the, the guy he's sharing with, he didn't seem to really take it in much. But that man went home that night and he walked into his apartment, closed the doors, and there was only him and me in that room. And he dropped down to his knees. And he said, all I know is if you are who my friend says you are, I need you in my life too. And that man, when it came time to finding a spouse, he said, I've got to find myself a godly woman. And he found himself a godly woman and they raised a godly family. And and that family touched a family over here and that family over there touched some families over here. And I want you to know that the city you see in front of you can all be traced back to one moment. Come on, the generational impact of one act of generosity, of one act of service, the generational momentum and multiplication of one moment of reaching out to one peer person. Can I just tell you, church, Ark family, you're not building your church. You're building cities in heaven. Come on. We're not building our church. We're building cities in heaven. Pastor Rick, you're not building your church. You're building cities in heaven. And I know you can't see it here, but you're going to see it there. Come on. I know we can't see it now, but we're going to see it there because heaven is real and people are worth it. Come on. My name is Heather Lindsay, and I'm married to the most amazing man, Cornelius Lindsay, on this planet. And I was born an orphan. My birth mom actually tried to abort me, but the doctors told her that if you try to abort this child, you will die. So she decided to keep me because she didn't want to lose her life. So straight from the hospital, I was placed into a foster home. And while I was in the foster home, my foster mother did not believe in fat babies. So she left me in my crib and I screamed all day and she fed me three bottles a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They thought I had cerebral palsy because I screamed so much. So families would come and look at me and they overlooked me and they bypassed me. So then my family comes along and says, I don't care what's wrong with her. I will take her. My parents adopted me. My parents are white and they adopted me and they adopted 24 of us. <laughs> Amen. We all, we all look very different. My parents are white, Korean, Indian, but it looks like everybody in here. That's, that's my family. But I grew up in that. And what's interesting is my parents took the child that nobody else wanted. They thought I had cerebral palsy, but my family said, I don't care. We're going to take her. We're, we believe if we just love her, we can be a part of her healing. So as I began to grow up, I noticed that my family had cystic fibrosis, Down syndrome. I had sisters and brothers that were addicted to crack when they were born. So I'm watching all this growing up. And when you're growing up in that environment, you begin to understand mental health. Then my brother was seeking identity and he got hanging with the wrong people. And then he was murdered and drowned in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And then my brother had a heart transplant that failed. 
and then he died. Then my sister set herself on fire and she died. I had another sister who's my very best friend, Kimberly. Um, she had cystic fibrosis and the doctors overdosed her and anesthetic and she died. My father passed away and then my mother remarried and then he passed away. My nephew committed suicide. So I, I'm telling you my story to share this with you because my, my topic is unity. And I was so excited about that because although I was born an orphan, you were too. Now you might be thinking about physically being an orphan, but I'm talking spiritually. You were an orphan. When Ezekiel 16 and 6 says you were helplessly kicking in your blood, when you were deep in your sin, when you were separated from God, God chose you and pulled you out of the pits of hell and said, you belong to me. You were an orphan and God adopted you and made him his own. And guess what that makes us? We're brothers and sisters. We got the same daddy. You have no reason to be jealous of anybody else because you got the same daddy. You have no reason to compare and contrast your ministry from somebody else's gifts and talents because you got the same daddy. You got the same access. I thank God for Pastor Chris. I have the same access as him to the Father. I have the same access as all of you, so I don't need to compare. You know, you have a church of one, you got a church of 15. You know what, thank, thank you, Jesus. If you have a little extra on your side, why don't you unite together in the body of Christ and say, you know what, let me help you out because you're my brother, you're my sister, just like my family. Guess what, guess what connects us together? We got the same daddy. We don't always have to look the same, we don't have to talk the same, we don't have the same personalities, but we still got the same daddy. One year ago, I was sitting in this art conference and my husband and I sat way up there because we, 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 we had been dealing with church hurt before in the past and we didn't want to get to know anybody. We weren't really sure about ARC and we weren't really sure about this whole thing. And so our friends invited us. So we came and I'm so glad we did because this past year at ARC has been life changing and it's been healing for my family. You ha it's, the thing is, you've got to put your walls down and give other people a chance. You can't charge people that hurt you in the past for, for where you're going. We're all brothers and sisters. We all may look differently. You might have a, a couple extra buildings. Why don't you go help somebody else that's looking for a building? You might have some ideas and wisdom and insight and all those different things, but why don't we begin to unite together and, 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 and help somebody else? We can't stand up here and look like, oh, I'm better than you. But we all have a story. We all have a background. But if we're so much stronger if we decide to come together in the body of Christ. And that's what I challenge you to do. Open up your heart this weekend. Get, it, get, get to know other people. Say hello. Look at them in the face. Don't charge them for the people that hurt you in your past. You've heard my past, but guess what? So many other people have a past. They might be first generation preachers. They might be fifth generation preachers. But the reality is we all have a story and we all have the same daddy. No reason to be jealous of anybody else's gifts and talents. God has distributed gifts and talents. So we're all the body of Christ. So you might be the arm, but I'm the other arm because there's people that I can reach over here that you can't reach over here. And it's okay. And guess what? If somebody doesn't like your ministry, it's okay. You got the same daddy one and there's still 7 billion other people on this earth that, are, that, that would love your gifts and talents. So let's come together. And again, I challenge you this weekend, get to know people around you. I'm so thankful for my girl gang of all the girls that I've met here that encourage me, that pour into me, that love on me. But if I would have been too hearted in my heart to not open that open up and say, you know what? You might look, you might look differently than me. You might act differently than me. Your church might be different than mine. But you know what? You're still my sister and you're still my brother. And it's time for us to come together as believers and remind ourselves that we have the same daddy. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Hola. Hola. Mi nombre es Juan Rodríguez. Soy el pastor de Arise Church en Dorado, Puerto Rico. Y hoy les voy a hablar que con Jesús como nuestra fundación, 
nosotros honramos. Nosotros valoramos al pasado y celebramos al futuro. Y, y, y yo sé lo que están pensando, pero no se preocupe. Yes, I hablo English. Don't worry about it, man. I'm so excited to be here with you guys tonight. <laughs> And, uh, listen, hey, they got seven minutes. Y'all sit down. They're gonna take my time. Listen, I'm so excited. I was at the same conference last year. And I was walking up and down these halls. And I don't know if you knew this, but it's exactly 3.2 miles from the theater to the chapel. I might be exaggerating a little bit, but it felt like that at the end of the day. And I got to meet some of you pastors and hear your God's vision and see what God is doing in your churches. And it was amazing. I mean, just hearing you guys. Listen, I, I, mean, I get to talk about honor, but let me start off by honoring you guys. Thank you guys for taking time away from your church to feed yourselves, to grow to be able to learn these systems, these structures that are going to be able to go back and change your community. Thank you. I honor you. I honor Pastor Chris. I honor you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Pastor Lane, such an impact in my life. I could roll, roll credits of the people that I got to thank, but we need to preach on this. So listen, um, when, I, I love the verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. It says this. It says, honor all men. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. When I read that, it kind of brought me back to in the book of, uh, of when we, when we, book of Samuel when we're talking about David and how David is, is running from King Saul. Say, David at that time was still running as a soldier. He was a soldier in Saul's army. He's hiding in a cave. I'm talking to pastors so y'all know the story. And he's hiding a little bit of a, a crouching tiger, hidden shepherd. Some of y'all get that later. Um, and he had an opportunity to kill Saul who was persecuting him, but he didn't. Because he, see, honor is just how we evaluate somebody. And let's give some, some measure. So he honored Saul and he said, he deserves honor and I'm not going to hurt him. He did a good thing. But some years went by and now David is now king and he had an opportunity to honor a soldier and he failed miserably. One of his mighty men, Uriah, he dishonored him. He took him so lightly and he, for desire of his own flesh, sent him to be killed just so he can have his wife. Isn't it funny how at times it's easy for us to honor kings, but hard for us to honor soldiers? Listen, that's why us, Ark family, it's important for us to value the past. We got to learn from these men of God that have gone before us and they've laid out this amazing groundwork so that we can reach this next generation, so we can reach these cities that people haven't gone to yet. We need to celebrate the future because you never know who God is going to take from shepherd to soldier to king. Listen, I told you guys that I was at this conference last year. I told you, right? But I didn't tell you the capacity of which, where I was at. Last year, this very same time, I was walking up and down these halls. I didn't have a ticket to this conference because I was attending looking for a job. I was about to graduate from Highlands College not even graduated. This very time, last year at this very conference, I was looking for a job. And I'm standing before you now about to start the very first ARC Church on the island of Puerto Rico. My God, we're gonna take the life-giving message to an island of 3.5 million people. The median household income, $19,000, but there's people with need, and we're gonna take, my God, this word. Listen, 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 listen. Listen. We're going to honor all men. From the dream team that is serving here, those guys are standing in the back that are serving you guys. We're going to honor all men. To the men of God that have gone before you, thank you guys. Listen, we're going to honor all men. We're going to love the brotherhood. That's what we are. We are the vibe, the family vibe. We Our family. Ooh. Somebody had to say it. Somebody. So listen, we are family. 
We're going to fear God. I love this one right here. You know why? Because I was listening to the book, uh, the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Y'all remember. And Lucy told Beaver, talking about Aslan, who's a lion. I got kids. Don't judge me. And she says to him, is the lion safe? And Beaver said, safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I finish with this. Let's honor the king, el rey de reyes, el señor de señores, the one who is coming, the one that we honor today. So I'm going to take a couple seconds off and ask you to let's stand to our feet and honor el rey de reyes, el señor de señores. Come on. Y'all can keep that last minute while you praise God. It's 40 seconds. You good? You got, f- uh, okay. All right. Well, uh, nothing like a really big clock with a little bit of time with all of your heroes in the room, huh? This is going to be, this is going to be awesome. Uh, the value uh, that I've been charged with is love. And uh, I, I want to take you back to maybe one of the first few times that maybe you experienced and encountered the love of God. Probably every single one of us in this room can think about those moments. I remember I was 17 years old the first time I ever heard the gospel. Never heard about Jesus Christ dying on a cross for my sins. That was a foreign concept. And I remember being a junior in high school, hearing the gospel for the very first time. And I remember thinking in my head at 17 years old, if this is true, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. I I mean, if this is real, I am all in. I remember I was overcome because I was experiencing the love of God for the very first time. I don't know about you, but I remember praying, what we call in church, the sinner's prayer. I remember bawling. And you didn't even know why you were crying. And I was crying so hard. You know, that, you know when you're crying so hard, you got to go look at yourself and watch yourself cry. You ever do that? <laughs> Come on, you ever cry so you like, I got to see myself cry. I got I to see what's happening right now. This is, I don't know what's going on. I remember I was so overcome. And, and this was back, man, when I would read the Bible and I actually believed that I could do what it said I could do. And I actually believed that God wanted to move in these ways. In fact, I, I, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I grew up in Tacoma, Washington. 253, yes. And, and I remember I was going, I went to the Puyallup Fair. It was a fair that was kind of in our area. And I went to the Puyallup Fair. And, and now I had just read in the Bible where Peter walks into the beautiful gate and he sees a man on the ground And he says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have to you, I give to you in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Man gets up and walks. And I just read that that day and I went to the Puyallup Fair. And while I'm at the fair, uh, I see a guy who's obviously blind. He has sunglasses on. He's sitting down and he's playing the guitar and he's, you know, asking for money. And I walk up to him. Yeah, I'd just been overcome with the love of God. I wanted other people to experience it. And this is what I said. This is a quote. This is what I said. I said, sir, silver or gold? I do not have, (laughs) but what I do have, I give to you in the name of the Lord. And this is a true story. I pull off his sunglasses and I go, open your eyes. And he says, what in the bleep are you doing? And I put his glasses back on and I walked away. And that's the end of the story. There's, this is not a good preacher story where I saw him later and you could see it's not one of those stories. That's it. It's the end of the story. That's it. And, and, and you want to know what? You want to know how much I was discouraged in that moment? Zero. I wasn't discouraged at all because you know what I hadn't yet learned? I hadn't yet learned to be disappointed when God operates in a way that I think that he should operate. I hadn't learned that yet. And the problem is not everything we learn serves us. Some things we've learned, we've been in this game too long, and, and sometimes we learn some things that actually start to harm us. And, and so I came face to face with this three years ago. Our church is three and a half years old. And three years ago, we were planting the church. And I've never been prone to anxiety. But for about two months going into our church, I couldn't sleep. I was sleeping about two hours a night for about two months. And it wasn't my personality. And, and I remember thinking, man, how, how come I cannot sleep? And I remember praying and saying, God, I need a revelation. I need to figure out what is going on because something is not right and the, the best way that, to illustrate this, in fact, I'm going I'm to run back here and grab this little chair here. 
If I were to give every single one of you, in fact, if we were to say, hey, uh, on your way out, don't forget, we're all giving you a chair just like this. We're giving you this chair, but here's the caveat. We want you to carry this chair with you and take it with you everywhere you go for the next year. It's got to go in every meeting. It's got to go in the shower with you. Come on, you got to snuggle with it. You got to put it in bed next. You got to carry this chair everywhere you go. Now, some of you, you're really competitive and you might last a couple weeks. Some of you, you wouldn't even pick it up on the way out. You're like, I'm not doing that. This guy's nuts. (laughs) But let's call this chair the burden of outcome. Let's call this chair the burden of outcome. But let's say you're walking out and, uh, and I gave you uh, this pin. This was, a, this was a gift I got. It's a space pin. I don't know what that means, but it sounds cool. And uh, somebody, one of our staff gave me this for my birthday. Now, uh, our staff makes a big deal about my birthday because they know I'm not a birthday person. There are two types of people in the world. There are birthday people and non-birthday people. And you birthday people, you know who you are. You're the kind of people that, you know, post them on Instagram like at 10 a.m. Thanks for all the birthday wishes. Nobody's wished you happy birthday yet. We know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You can't fool me. I know what you're doing. Oh, it's your birthday. We know what you're doing. But imagine if we gave you this pin. Imagine if we gave you this pin. When you walked out, we said, hey, you got to carry this. You got to carry this for the next year. Everywhere you, go. you can put it in your backpack, you can put it in your pocket. And this would be something that you and I could do. Uh, let's call this pin the burden of obedience. Let's call this pin the burden of obedience. I, I wonder if there's anybody here today that's tired from carrying around the burden of outcome. I wonder if there's some people in here that you, have, you haven't even been able to enjoy what God has been doing in your church for the last year. Because you've been carrying the burden of outcome. And I don't know what your Bible says, but my Bible says that some people plant and some people water, but only God makes all things grow. Come on, is there anybody in here that actually believe that it's God who's building this church and you and I just get to be obedient? You and I get to just say, God, I'm here to do what you've called me to do. And my role is to love people and I'm gonna plant and I'm gonna water, but God, it is you. This making this thing grow. My encouragement to you is this, is you would just get back to focusing to say, my role is to love people with everything I have. I didn't plant a church in my city because I wanted to live there. I didn't plant a church in my city because I wanted to get on some list. Come on, all that stuff is outcome. That I don't have as much control as I think I do. I planted a church in my city because I fell in love with God and God revealed himself to me and I showed up to give everything I can so other people in my city could experience the love of God. Come on, is anybody else grateful for the love of God that we have first received that we might sow it into the world? in 2017 is a day I'll never forget. I was standing at the gate at the JFK airport waiting to board a plane. My husband, Jim, had planned a surprise dream vacation for just the two of us. We were about to tour the British Virgin Islands on a private catamaran. It was going to be an incredible time. He doesn't usually get too much past me, if you know what I mean, but this time he got me. This time I was completely surprised. And as I stood there at the gate, I began to think about my destination. I thought I knew what was waiting for me on the other side. I began to think about the blue skies. I began to think about the clear water. I began to think about those white sandy beaches with my hunk of a man looking like Brad Pitt walking along the beach. I thought I knew what was waiting for me on the other side and I began to dream of what it was gonna be like. And then Jim's phone rang. The voice on the other side said, Mr. Wilkes, I'm calling with the results of your recent tests. We wanna let you know that you have a four and a half centimeter sized tumor in your bladder and without a doubt, we are confident that it's cancerous. But go ahead, have a good vacation and we'll deal with this when you get back. (laughs) That was great, that was great. Destinations, destinations matter. Destinations are important. I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I read about the words of Jesus, but I fail to look at where Jesus is at when he says the words that he says. 
destinations are important. And I think that it's critical for us to understand where Jesus is at. The writers are so purposeful in telling us where Jesus is when he says the words that he says. He's in a village, he's in a town, he's in a home, he's along the hillside, he's in the synagogue. The words that Jesus says are critical, but where he says them are just as critical. In Matthew 16, we read the story of Jesus and his disciples rolling up into the city of Caesarea Philippi. Now, in Jesus' day, Caesarea Philippi was a place of pagan worship. It was a place of immoral activity and human sacrifice. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking when, when Jesus brought them to this town, 25 miles from Galilee, which was a place of great religious activity? They're thinking, Jesus, what, what, why have you brought us to this place? Caesarea Philippi was situated in a place, it was, it, it was a, a, there was a cliff on the top of the hillside, and, and, and history tells us that that cliff was, was more like a huge cavern, a rock, and underneath that there was living water that flowed into the depths of the earth. And people, history tells them, their parents told them, don't ever go to that town. There's too much evil. There's too much despair. There's too much death. There's too much difficulty. Stay away from Caesarea Philippi. Stay away from that town. That's not a town you go to. But yet Jesus calls his disciples there. And when he calls them there, he says, who do people say that I am? Who are people telling you that I am? And they say, well, some say Elijah, some, some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets, or maybe John the Baptist. And then Jesus asks another question. He turns to him and he says, but who do you say that I am? And S Simon Peter says, well, wait a minute. Wait, I'm looking at the evil that I see here in this city. I'm looking at the evil on this rock that, that we're told that hell literally meets earth. That hell literally meets earth in the gateway to, 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 to hell there. And he's standing there and he's hearing Jesus's question, but who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. In other words, I believe I believe in you. I don't, I don't care what they've told me about this town. I don't care what they've told me about this city. I believe in you, and I believe you're the one who's anointed to fix all of this. I believe that you, Jesus, can roll up into any city and change the course of its destiny, of its purpose, of its atmosphere. And if I will just believe in you, then I'll have what it takes in order to be confident in the calling that you've given me. So then I started thinking about my own, my own situation, my own gate, if you will. I wasn't standing on a rock was standing in an airport terminal. As I looked down that walkway, heading towards that plane, I could feel the presence of evil on the other side. I could feel the struggle. I could feel the doubt. I could feel the unbelief. I could feel the anger. I could feel the spirit of death looming over my family. And as I stepped onto that airplane, if I'm gonna be honest with you, for a minute I lost my confidence and the call that God had given Jim and I. And I wondered why. I wondered why, after 20 years of really hard, faithful ministry, would he allow this to happen? How could he allow? I wondered how my two teenage boys were gonna have to wrestle with their own faith over their dad's diagnosis. I wondered how I was gonna have to tell Jimmy Rollins that he just inherited five campuses in Cleveland, Ohio. I wondered, but then, pause for a minute. Well, it was barely more than a minute, a few days, a few weeks, maybe even a few months. And I remembered the words of Peter said, you, you're the son of the living God. You heal today. You are the anointed one. You are the one who can fix all of this. You are the one who is in full control, the beginning to the end. You have got this. And my posture is a posture of offense. I am not functioning in a defensive mode, but I am gonna storm the gate. 
gates of hell because you said in that very sentence, the gates of hell will not prevail over me or my family. I don't know what gate you're in right now. I don't know what destination you're facing in your city, your church, your family. I don't know the fight that's before you, but what I do know is if you will posture yourself on the offense, if you will put your, there are touchdowns waiting to happen. There are three point shots that are waiting for you to take them. Go and believe that he's the son of the living God. We dream. Over 20 years ago, I was standing in a church in Mount Vernon, New York, a Jamaican church in New York, and I saw the most beautiful girl ever, my wife. I saw her standing there, and I thought, this is the most beautiful girl I've ever seen, and I started to have a dream about her and a dream about ministry as well. She was the PK, and so I figured if I could get her, I might also get some job security. I thought I'd end up pastoring my father-in-law's church, but it didn't work out that way eight and a half years ago. We launched a church called Authentic in White Plains, New York. And I think that we all wrestle with attention in this room, regardless of where our churches land numerically. And the question that I wrestle with is, what do you do when you get the dream girl, but you don't know how to get the dream church? If we're going to talk about dreams, we have to go to the Bible's greatest dreamer, in my opinion. We have to talk about Joseph. You know Joseph, the guy that had a big dream that would end up becoming disruptive, and that big dream that actually went awry when he learned that his fiance actually was having a child that wasn't his. Oh, you thought we were going to talk about that, Joseph. No. <laughs> I'm talking about Joseph that learned that his fiance was acting more like Beyonce, at least in his mind. And when he finds out that she's pregnant, the Bible tells us that he wants to put her away privately. You see, in our generation, we love to put out our dreams publicly on the ground, but we handle our nightmares privately. And if we're not careful, we can marry the spirit of the age that when it has something that it births and you don't want it anymore, you just abort it. But when something's birthed by the Holy Spirit, God says, adopt it. And we learn that just when he's considering to put her away, that the angel of the Lord comes and says, do not put her away and do not be afraid because what's in her is birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and his name will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. I've come to preach to the pastors who came here as a last ditch effort. You've been thinking about getting rid of your dream. You've been thinking about putting away your ministry. But if it doesn't appear the way it went in your dreams, you got to remember who appeared to you in your dream. We are about four weeks in, five weeks into being one church. <laughs> In multiple locations, we just launched a campus in Yonkers. I feel like we're one church with multiple frustrations. We're on our way trying to break 1,000 in average weekly attendance, and I'm breaking daily 1,000 in average daily repentance. Just want to cuss everybody out, upset, they're talking about, you can't use the theater this day. We got blackout days. I'm like, that's racist. I need the church. <laughs> but when things don't go as they appeared in your dreams, you've got to remember that God appeared to you in your dream. And 19 people have put their faith in Jesus since we launched that campus. 
Let me hasten. Two minutes. There's three things that you got to learn that Joseph did that's going to help you with your dream. Number one, when the angel appeared to him and he got woke, because you got to get woke. Touch your neighbor and say, woke. You got to get woke. Come on, touch him. Touch your neighbor. Come on, touch your neighbor. You got to get woke. When he got woke, the Bible says he did what God commanded. Some of you are in this place. You barely got here. You're here with your dream, but you still got to do what God has commanded you to do. I know you don't got enough resources. I know your budget looks slim. I know you don't got enough staff. I know your dream team looks like the cream team. But you got to do what God has commanded you to do. Number two, the Bible says he didn't consummate. <laughs> he didn't make certain things happen. Remember, Joseph was a carpenter, which means that he had a propensity to build and fix and structure things. Just like pastors in this audience, we have a frustration when we can't fix. <laughs> but he didn't try to do a cover-up. Because if you try to consummate now, you'll take credit later. Imagine Joseph hanging out with his homeboys. Hey, man, I heard your son was walking on water the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah, you should have seen when I helped him walk on puddles. <laughs> Don't try to cover it up. Now, here is the last point. And I need you to help me preach this now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me tell you what he did. He didn't call... Jesus Joseph Jr. He didn't look up the top 10 best things in Bethlehem. Because Jesus' name would match his ministry. And when you say Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. Too many of us have come into this conference calling our church small, calling our church not multi-site because you're in one location. You meet people in Target, Starbucks, and Barnes and Noble during the week, you're multi-site, man. You gotta call your church great. You gotta call it anointed. You gotta call it powerful. You gotta call... church and so thank thank you so much to each of you for your heart and your love for God your love for here your love for his church thank you for being here we're grateful that you are family and we love you so thank you for what you brought to us gracias amigo y buenas noches